I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. And we're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to listen and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks for joining us again. So good to be back. Uh, feeling great. Uh, aren't we all looking forward to the end of winter? Very much. We are so close. Very much. And it's been uh, not too bad. I mean, it hasn't been that bad of a winter I feel so like far. it's been dreary, yeah. but not... I mean, I would prefer pretty snow yeah. than just clouds and cold yeah. and gray. I hear you. You know? So you're moving to Anchorage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but yeah. Archbishop, this last month you were able to be at the uh, ordination and in- installation of Bishop McClory in Gary, Indiana. How did that go? How was everything with that? It was a wonderful experience, Mike. Uh, so many people from the archdiocese were there. Uh, priests, uh, people that uh, the bishop has known really from uh, his youth, a lot of parishioners from Shrine. And I felt uh, that we were making our contribution to unleashing the gospel Mm. in uh, uh, northwest Indiana. I think uh, Monsignor brings a real missionary heart, excuse me, Bishop McClory brings a real (laughs) missionary heart uh, to what he's doing. Dice is very healthy spiritually, and I think uh, he'll be able to build on that and help everybody uh, take up their mission. That's great. There was a wonderful photo of you uh, obviously praying for him and praying over him. What was that prayer? What was going through your mind in that moment? Perhaps what uh, you saw was the photo of my imposing hands on his head. And when a man is ordained a bishop, there's a principal ordaining bishop, but then the others present uh, also are ordaining him. Mm -hmm. And so that's my uh, gesture of imposing hands, calling down the Holy Spirit. And if I recall correctly, my prayer was that uh, the Holy Spirit be a spirit of strength in his heart to help him uh, lead the uh, the diocese forward according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful, beautiful. I've been able to be at a couple ordinations where um, I've seen you do the laying of hands, like priestly ordinations and things. When you're doing that, are you just really calling down the Holy Spirit onto these men who are going to go and serve? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is an ancient gesture that the church has inherited uh, from uh, uh, the temple, from the synagogue, uh, Imposing hands is a way to call down the Spirit. We see it in the Acts of the Apostles in several places. And uh, one of the things I think about is I'm handing on what was handed on to me, what was handed on, what was handed on, and that uh, there's an organic chain all the way back to Peter, uh, to John, to Philip, to James, and uh, the church is uh, still the same church. Yeah. And you can, I can, I've, whenever I've seen that, you can sense the sacred in that moment, the kind of historical sanctity that we have in our church. It's a really beautiful thing to see. Yeah. And how cool, like you said, for uh, Bishop McClory to come from here to there and go out that like sent forth, right? Moving on. That's the whole unleashing the gospel. So that's exciting. Earlier this month, you attended evening prayer and dinner with a group of men who are invited by their pastors to learn more about the priesthood, right? How long have you been doing these gatherings with these young men? What is it like when they're there? How how does that go? 
Um, the, the gatherings uh, go back farther than my being the Archbishop. Cardinal uh, Maida used to have gatherings like this. I continued uh, when, when I came. Um, it's a wonderful experience uh, to see these young fellows who have some sense of seriousness as they consider their future, that God should be part of it. This isn't to be taken for granted. Mm. And so I, I think even their willingness to be present, and a lot of times the, uh, it can just be because, I don't know, maybe they like the, we give them good food. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And most of them go back for seconds. That's great. That's great. Because <laughs> they are teenagers. Yeah. Right. But uh, I appreciate that there's a sacredness about uh, wanting to put their future in the hands of God, mm -hmm. and that's really what I uh, emphasize: that uh, God will, God, Christ respects them for uh, giving Him this deference, and He will, He will show them what He wants, and this is good for them because what He wants them to do is be happy. Maybe not have a certainly not to have a carefree life, mm. but to have a, a fruitful life. Yeah. And it's a real kind of entry point moment, right? Like if people have curiosity, they would come to this to hear from you and to be in community with other people. Right. It's a first point of connection where there might be a spark that eventually could lead on to uh, ordination, but it's going to lead somewhere. And that's the important thing. And I do ask them to think about the priesthood because we need good priests. Mm -hmm. If it's their vocation, uh, they'll be very, very happy fulfilling their life that way. I'd imagine that's a good thing for any young man to attend, to yeah. just, you know, even coming down to the seminary and seeing that. Sometimes I think there's like a veil of mystery around this place, you know, yeah. to kind of take back that veil a little bit and see some normalcy in this different calls to holiness, right? right. So what a beautiful thing. Is there anything that you would say in particular to young people or people of any age that are discerning the priesthood? Um, what would you say to them that they should consider while thinking about this Pretty heavy vocation. <laughs> well, the most important, uh, if, if they have even the inkling to think about it, they need to pay attention. That, that means something. It doesn't just accidentally happen. That's coming from somewhere. Mm. And the Holy Spirit wants them to be formed in the image of Jesus. That's particular to them. And so this uh, idea, this inspiration is some step toward that. Now, you have to figure out what that step is. It may be that it ultimately will not lead to the priesthood, but it means something and it's worth paying attention to because it's a gift, it's a grace. And therefore, what has to happen is prayer because it's only in prayer that one is able to discern the, uh, the, uh, the voice of Christ. Yeah. It's funny with my three sons and even my daughters using real intentional language around discernment and recognizing the voice of Christ, even when they're young, to be real used to asking God what he wants of their life and how God can move in their life. And it can be scary, Yeah. Uh, but we're Christians, and so we oh. believe that he's not going to want anything for us that's not for our good. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wants us to flourish. He's made us for himself, and he's made us uh, to... Uh, uh, to be holy, and holiness is the fulfillment of every heart's desire. Mm. Can you remind us how old you were when you started to think this might Seven. be the path? Seven, really? Yeah, I uh, just was attracted to the mass and to the priesthood, and just had some idea, you sure. know. But 
the idea of a seven-year-old. No, of course, yeah. yeah. You know, so there was that and uh, the idea of being a fireman and (laughs) all the other stuff stuff. seven-year-olds think about. Right, right. But it's neat that at seven, that was one of your options. That was one of the things that you were thinking about. And actually, I would say about half of the, the men who passed to ordination have a very early intuition that this might be for them. Not everybody. Sure. Yeah. Because when I, I examine them before I call them to the priesthood, mm. we call it a scrutiny, mm-hmm. and I ask them questions about uh, their disposition, their intention, and I always ask them about the, their history of their discernment. Mm. And about half say it came to them very early in their life. Yeah. Yeah, you always hear stories about young men, they go home after Mass, and they use their bed as an altar, and they kind of play Mass, if you will, even at a very young age and everything. That's beautiful, yeah. My little Joey at in kindergarten, they'd have like a career day where you can choose to dress up as anything, and they take a picture, and my Joseph chose a priest. And I didn't know that until oh. they sent like the project home, and he has this picture with him, and they put a little collar on him and a rosary. You know, not a real collar, but it was, they did the firemen dressed as the firemen, so I think we might have a vocation well, brewing see, yeah. in my house. Oh, God willing. How neat would that be? Speaking about young people, Archbishop, I know this last month you were able to speak at the CYO uh, Rainbow Conference, which is specifically geared towards high school age youth. Um, what was? Would you mind sharing how that experience was and what you said in your homily a little bit to them, your message you had for them? Oh, happy to, um, especially when I address uh, the uh, young people who are at the end of high school, that, that kind of age group. I try to keep in mind that they are... Uh, well on the bridge toward being adults. Um, I suppose their parents might tell me they're not quite there yet. Right. But they're not children anymore. And so it means they're taking personal possession of their own freedom, which means their own decisions about who they are and what they value. And so at Rainbow, as I would typically with uh, young men and women that age, I talked about uh, that freedom mm. and uh, the, uh, the important point that as disciples, that's a gift they make to Christ. And so they make Christ the measure for every other ambition they have in life. Um, it was a few weeks ago. I don't remember the details right, right yeah. now. Right. <clears throat> but I think uh, uh, to, to help them understand that belonging to the church is not, uh, as Pope Benedict uh, customarily said, not accepting a set of propositions, but it's about a gift of oneself to a person and making that self-gift to Christ in in freedom and not to be afraid. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one of the problems in the gift of freedom today, especially in our culture, is there are so many options that people are afraid to make a mistake, and so they don't do anything. Mm. They, they hold back on their freedom. Yeah. And it's only by uh, making a choice that you really advance. My example for this is sometimes it's about playing the piano, sometimes it's about learning German. <laughs> uh, we all have the potential to learn German, but if we only keep it a potential because we might also want to learn Japanese, we're never going to learn any language. Right. Yeah. You have to d- dive in, make a dis- make a commitment, and then you become really free. You become free enough to be able actually not just to maybe speak German, but actually to you're free to speak it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's a really good That's point. Beautiful. And what a good message too, like you said, I think for this particular age group, um, 
there is so many choices and it can stall them, which I've noticed, we've noticed yeah, in our youth ministry them. work, it's an interesting thing that's happening with this generation. So I, I'm glad that you focused in on that message of freedom for the young people of our diocese. Yeah. Also, I think that the, the idea that's latent in, in young people too, they wouldn't articulate it this way per se, but this kind of idea of competition, like with God, like if God, if God gets his way, then I don't get mine. And if God um, wins, then I don't win. Like this idea of competition in a way where obviously this goes against what you're talking about with freedom, where if, if we actually rely on and lean into God in relation in a, in a relational way, we actually become more free. We actually become more ourselves and all that, which is a great message. That's awesome. Thanks, Archbishop. So we had some exciting news in the Archdiocese about our beloved church, St. Anne's. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, working with uh, the pastor, Monsignor Kosenki, I think it uh, was in 2018 that uh, we began the petition to the Holy Father that he would uh, honor St. Anne's with the title of a basilica, which in some way makes it a, an honorary Roman church. Okay. Uh, that's part of what that means. Okay. Uh, so it's particularly connected to the Pope and to the Pope's diocese. And the petition has been uh, reviewed. Uh, there's a very extensive process. It actually had to go to the bishops' conference for a review to see if they had any uh, observations to make to the Holy See about this. And uh, after Christmas, uh, I think, well, I guess the beginning of February, if I recall correctly, but don't hold me to that. Sure. I got uh, word from the uh, the office that helps the Holy Father with these things that uh, the church is designated as a minor basilica. Wow. So can you refresh us on some of the history of St. Anne's and why, it's, why it received this significant honor? Um, I think at St. Anne's Church today, if I recall, is the eighth building to house the congregation. My recollection is that there were six uh, structures that were part of the fort. Mm -hmm. Then a, a church was built made out of stone, uh, very close to downtown, okay. Larned, and I forget the cross street. Okay. Um, then the church was then the parish moved to a very new church down uh, close to where the, the bridge is. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the eighth building, but the community goes back to two days after the foundation of the city in 1701. Wow. And so uh, the city was, uh, the uh, Cadillac landed on the 24th of July and uh, on the 26th, St. Anne's feast day, uh, the community began to exist as a, a, a congregation of the Catholic faithful here. Mm. I have goosebumps as you say that, just this, this deep, rich history that we have. And what's city. important, I th why I think this is so important, uh, Mary, is that it reminds us that we have a missionary heritage and so that uh, unleashing the gospel is part of uh, what God has given us from the very beginning. We began as a parish in a missionary diocese, and we're still supposed to be part of a missionary diocese. Hmm. It's really cool with just the movements, and I know I always refer to this, but the Synod and then Unleash the Gospel, um, Father Solanus, and now St. Anne's. Like, we just need those moments, I think, where we can see that God is touching us so clearly through his spirit. Right. We are blessed. We are elect. 
yeah, we're right. anointed and appointed. Yes. And uh, Saint Anne had a had a great missionary pastor, Father Gabriel Richard. Mm. Father Richard came here as a, a French uh, Sulpician. Uh, he uh, fled the terror of the French Revolution, came here to the frontier, was uh, sent by the bishop to Detroit, and uh, was a, a, a marvelous pastor, very zealous uh, for the advance of the faith and also for the advance of the civil order. Uh, right. Father Richard is one of the co-founders of the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Father Richard was uh, a uh, a territorial delegate to the Congress. He's the one who uh, uh, put out the uh, resolution that the federal government would build a road between Detroit and Chicago, wow. Michigan wow. Avenue. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Yeah. Look at uh, that. He published the first <coughs> newspaper, the first book yeah. uh, in the territory. Yeah. Um, all around zealous pastor. And so I think we have this uh, heritage of, of zeal yeah, that's great. One last question. Will there be a mass to make this official? What, what Do you know? We're going to yeah. celebrate uh, the establishment. I mean, it is named a basilica. Oh, so we're that's gonna, already done. We're going to give okay. God thanks for this on okay. the 26th of April, okay. Sunday, uh, at a mass at noon. And people would be invited to come oh, down. Right, I bet right. it's going to be packed. Oh, yeah. On St. Anne's Feast Day, it's pretty packed, so I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah, it'll be a packed church. Maybe I'll make the trip down. Beautiful. Well, Archbishop, today, our episode, we wanted to focus in a little bit in, in the season of Lent, where we find ourselves in the season of Lent, and we want to kind of break that open a little bit. Uh, so, you know, kind of talking about what is Lent, some of the different things that we, uh, as a Catholic, as Catholics, do to celebrate that great season, uh, concretely and just in, in general. Um, but first, I, I wanted to kind of dive into uh, the fact that I know you had uh, a Mass at St. Aloysius downtown uh, on, on Ash Wednesday to kind of kick off the season of Lent. Uh, what did you preach on? What was your message for this year to people regarding Lent as a season? I uh, tried to ask people to reflect on the, the meaning of the sacramental, the ashes themselves. Mm. It's interesting to me how fascinated people are, uh, uh, people who aren't Catholic, uh, people who aren't Christian with our use of ashes. And uh, what does it mean? Uh, and thinking about that as a way to take hold of the grace of the day. And I talked about two ways the uh, ashes signify. One, uh, they're a sign of the ruin that every human thing comes to, including ourselves in the grave. And they're also a supernatural sign of how God can take the ashes, the, the ruin of things in our lives, and not just take us beyond them, but even transform them into something that's a blessing. Um, St. Uh, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Mm. And uh, God can take our sorrow, God can take uh, what we've done wrong, and make it a, a, a stone on the path toward him. And so I ask people to think about that, and that's one way to understand Lent is to look at our lives to see the choices we've made that would lead to dissolution, uh, to ruin, to uh, things coming undone, and to repent of that, and so to have it transformed into a new life, mm. which is the meaning of the Paschal mystery, uh, how uh, the cross doesn't just lead to uh, Easter, but the cross is uh, the seed for Easter. Mm. 
That's great. I know. I love that image of the the ashes. I've, I've always heard, obviously, you know, unto dust and to dust you shall return. So the that first half of what you said was beautiful, but I really heard it from the second portion, which you were talking about, kind of like that Phoenix image or even Detroit. Isn't the Detroit uh, motto uh, from the ashes or right. something right. to that effect? Isn't it right? Yeah. Uh, it was basically after Speramus the fire. Meliora, uh, what is it? Excineribus, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Research at Excineribus. Yeah. We research at Phoenix. It was after I the fire. That, yeah, yeah. I think Phoenix is a really good uh, yeah. uh, mythological figure, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and it, it has way. to happen that way. It, it's it does. It's not just that the the new life comes after, but it comes through and from. It's from bearing our uh, burdens, our mortality, uh, that we shine out all the more as God's sons and daughters. That's beautiful. It's funny that both of you say that because this Ash Wednesday, that saying like "You are dust, and to dust you shall return." The the somberness of that really hit me this year. Like, wow, that's kind of an intense thing to, to yeah. say to start the season. But when you think about it, the way that you're both kind of opening up as this Phoenix is taking that part of who we are to build something greater. And to be at peace <sighs> right. with our mortality that mm. we don't have to, it's not something we have to be afraid of. Yeah. But because Christ is risen from the dead, uh, our mortality is transformed. Yeah. Right. So through the movements of Lent, uh, one of the things that our church kind of focuses on is this idea of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, and that's expressed a lot by a sacrifice, giving something up, doing something extra during the Lenten season. So I'm going to ask the obvious question, did you guys make any commitments this Lent that you're trying to uh, make sure to have happen during this Lenten season? You first, You Mike. want me to go first? All right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Mary and I were talking about it. What, what's the tradition on uh, sharing? Is like, it, are is, you supposed to tell yeah, people? Are you supposed are you to not? share or yeah, not? Yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always thought it was good if you want to be kind of held accountable. Yeah, but There's right. times where you don't share, but times where you do. Right. So so for Lent, uh, one of the things I am, I'm, I'm, I drink Coca-Cola a lot. Like, I love to drink the drink of Coke. Uh, so I gave up soda for Lent. Uh, but, but or pop, sorry for our Midwest listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not only soda, but I was trying to just be really conscious, uh, not so much fasting every day, but uh, being very mindful of everything that I'm consuming. And um, partly for health, but not just for a diet fad, but truly uh, sacrificing yes, I want that, but instead I'm going to have this, or I, I want two portions of that, but I'm only going to have one. So um, just trying to keep my mind engaged with my consumption on a daily way uh, with the idea and thought that, you know, um, I want to consume God, you know, and it's, a, it's meant to be a reminder to me that that hunger, um, that little sacrifice I'm giving up is meant to be a sacrifice for some other or, or on behalf of God, but also... Um, trying to keep me hungry for God. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've Wow, you got that right. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it's all supposed to be about is uh, taming our passions yeah. and, putting, uh, and putting them in line with our deepest longings. I mean, I, I, I decided to do something pretty simple, uh, no desserts, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not putting any sweetener on my cereal in the morning. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, these are little ways for me to remember that uh, my greatest passion should be for the Lord and I need to get my other uh, desires and appetites uh, subordinated and harmonized with that. Yeah, Just what yeah. you were saying. Yeah, beautiful. Mary? Yeah. Like a real opportunity there to order. You go, Mary. It's funny you guys are saying <laughs> this because the Lord has kind of moved in my life in a very similar way. So I'm trying to wake up every morning and do an intentional devotion. I. Uh, my life is a little busy with my five kids, not that it's an excuse. So that solid time of prayer 
often ends up being like the last thing I think about. So I'm trying to start my morning with that. And then mm. I'm also I'm doing a, a little <clears throat> bit of a challenge that sounds similar to yours. Um, I'm trying to eat only like whole foods. So fruits and vegetables and meats, um, no grains, no sweets, no alcohol, and really not as a discipline of recognizing that these are gifts from God that fuel us um, and a sacrifice of the things that kind of I I enjoy like mm. an occasional Bud Light or a dessert <laughs> or, you know, having just bread. <laughs> having, yeah. Cause I've given up dairy as well. And it's, 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 I have, it's, this is probably the hardest I've ever gone at Lent, but I really want to use these 40 days to kind of transform and this reliance on who God is and what food is. Like it's, it's, it's not like a, it's, it, it, it fuels us and it's supposed to be something that we're grateful for. I think we have so many choices, right? When we, when we eat and just, we can eat everything all the time and to limit ourselves is it's, it's been hard so far. Yeah. So I read something really cool about delayed gratification and offering your sufferings to the Lord. So like when I look at that, you know, grilled cheese that I'm serving my kids and I want it so bad. I don't want to eat the cucumber and the tomato. <laughs> I'm like, this is a moment to pause and to understand that we give up things or we sacrifice to help us on the path towards holiness. So it's been yeah. good. It's been hard. We're only yeah. like six days in and I'm like, <laughs> when is Easter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do think it's going to be fruitful, both the prayer and the the sacrifice. I'm yeah. waiting for that. Song. I've thought of that oftentimes too, like the, that I don't suffer well. There's been times in my life where just things are difficult. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I'll go through the suffering and, and sure, I, I did fine, but I don't suffer well in the sense that I don't in that moment think to offer it up for someone or for some situation or to offer it back to God. I usually didn't think about that after the fact. It's almost in retrospect that I think like, oh, I should have offered that up for something specific. But in the moment, I'm so uh, consumed with that that difficulty almost uh, that I forget to offer it up. So anyway, was there a particular... Uh, being, do you remember when being young? Was there a first time you took on a sacrifice at Lent, uh, and and you accomplished it, and you felt maybe proud of yourself for doing it, but that was particularly difficult? Do you remember? Do you recall a time, Archbishop? I'm sure you? in the beginning it was candy. Gave up candy yeah. for Lent. Yes. I'm not sure I was particularly <laughs> successful. <laughs> Now, are you somebody that Sundays is a day of feast that you can let go of that Lenten sacrifice, or do you push through all of Lent? How do you handle Sundays? Uh, I'm sure when Sundays? I was a child, I I took advantage yes. of the Sundays. <laughs> exactly. Um, I I don't do that right now. Right. Okay. I I think people have to make their own discernment sure. about that. Yeah. What yeah. made me think about that is my son Joseph again. He gave up. We have two. Father ca- Joseph. Father Joseph. Yeah. We he gave up. We have two captain seats <laughs> in our vans, and our kids fight about them all every time we get in the car who gets to sit in the two good seats so joseph gave up the t- sitting in one of those two seats for Lent, which oh, i thought was really creative that's really cool but then on sunday yesterday i mean it went down in my house he's like this is my seat it is a feast day this is when we get to celebrate <laughs> so i mean he was longing for sunday to be able to oh, control so i mean i think we got to work a little bit on the spirit of Lent with yeah, my joey yeah <laughs> so this is a piece of Lent. And it's probably a piece that uh, most of us know, you know, the the ashes, getting ashes on Ash Wednesday. I love how even the secular world seems to be very aware of that day and then Mm. giving up something for Lent. But there's also so much more we can do in this season, particularly when it comes to prayer. So how would you suggest that Catholics kind of enter into the prayerful season of Lent to even order the things that we're giving up and to be focused during these 40 days? Well, um, 
it, one really needs to begin with discernment to start a conversation with Jesus and say, uh, what are you asking me to do? How, how do you want us to be uh, fall more into love with one another? And it could be uh, what the inspiration that the Holy Spirit might give is, is a new form of prayer. Could be a recapitulation, or a renewal of, a, of something one is very accustomed to do. Um, after you make that discernment, I think you, one should be careful to, to keep it simple and not be trying to do 101 things, but better to do one or two things uh, quite faithfully. Mm. And uh, to uh, examine one's conscience every day, how am I doing on uh, living up to my, to my resolution? I think those are, that's some kind of basic coaching tips, I think, mm -hmm. about this prayer. Mm -hmm. That's great. Archbishop, um, why, do, why do we observe Lent as Catholics? So like what, what um, the church in her wisdom has done this for, you know, I'm not sure exactly how long. I, I, I don't know if you could speak maybe to the history about uh, Lent as a, as a liturgical season, where that kind of originates from, but also why the church in her wisdom seeks that we do this, that we practice this season. I don't know the exact sorts of dates, but my recollection is it's very soon after the Church received her liberty in 313. And the origin of Lent is the period of preparation, that the final preparation that the catechumens go through in order to get ready for baptism, confirmation, mm. and their first Eucharist at the Easter Vigil. And so those who were already baptized began also to participate in this period and it was for them a time to be renewed in the Easter sacraments. And so it is very, very old. It's, yeah. it's at least a, a millennium and a half, if I recall correctly. Beautiful. And, and the 40 days tied to the 40 days of Jesus in the desert? It is. Okay. Um, and there, the period had varied uh, over history, but it finally got settled at 40 days, and 40 days without counting the Sundays, which mm -hmm. was... Uh, I mean, that sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. That's why Joey gets to sit in the captain's seat on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Not a day longer than 40 for my Joseph. Um, That's beautiful. So it really started out of a, a solidarity for, for Catholics and being in solidarity with those who are, are coming into the church right. and making that sacrifice. That's, that's beautiful. And uh, there was a time when Catholics were obliged to do public penance for very grave sin. Oh. And so... Uh, they had to do these final days of, of public penance uh, in order to be readmitted to Holy Communion uh, mm. for the Easter Vigil. Wow. And what would be, what's an example yeah. of public penance? Well, if uh, you had murdered someone, uh, adultery, uh, those grievous sin, mm -hmm. uh, you had to publicly confess and be publicly uh, absolved after doing public penance. Wow. Huh. You would have to be outside of the church for the Eucharist. Wow. That could, though, when you think about it, that can seem so harsh, but there was such a community base in, in the early church, right? And right. so they would move through these things together. There's also a tradition of almsgiving during the season of Lent. Do you want to speak a little bit to that? Well, I think almsgiving stands as a, a, a symbol for a, a much wider uh, range of works of mercy. So yes, obviously there's about uh, uh, making donations, and typically uh, what people do is they uh, they they save money by their fasting, and that's something you have uh, to to give. But I think uh, 
it should be seen in all forms of, of Christian service. Uh, uh, could be working in a soup kitchen, could be uh, visiting at a convalescent home, doing more intense uh, works of mercy. Yeah. So in Unleash the Gospel, I always like to, to refer a little bit to Unleash the Gospel. And you said, or you wrote, to repent means to change one's mind, to make a life-altering decision, to turn away from sin and turn towards God. There is no true offer of the good news that does not call for repentance. In light of Lent, could you expand a little bit about that particular part of Unleash the Gospel and why you think repentance is so important? Well, it's a binomial. It's a pair that uh, Jesus himself says is essential. He doesn't say believe in the gospel. He said repent and believe. And it's a fact that we are all born as children of Adam and Eve. Uh, we, What Paul calls the old Adam is alive in us. Uh, we all have, even if thanks be to God, we have never betrayed God uh, in a mortal sin. It's in us. We could do this. We've been transformed by baptism, but we still have to uh, let uh, this new Adam, uh, Christ, uh, take hold of us ever more completely. And so there's certainly, for an adult who comes into the church, there's the repentance, which is uh, sort of primordial of repenting and, and being baptized, believing in the good news, being baptized, but the rest of us have to constantly recapitulate that because uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not a saint yet, and yeah. uh, I got to keep working at it. Yeah. 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 But I do it because I hear the good news. Yes. Uh, and being convicted of sin is good news because it explains what's wrong and not only tells me the diagnosis, but it offers the therapy. Hmm. Well, I know... Um, it sounds like a weird question to ask, but how would one repent? I know it's it's kind of a changing or an altering of your mind, and some people might be be close or on the edge to that. But what what are some examples or ways that people can truly repent? Well, you have to make a commitment uh, to to resolve to be different. Well, first of all, you have to uh, uh, accept the need for repentance mm. and. Uh, Embrace the grace of our Lord as the uh, uh, the the remedy for mm. for what's wrong. So that's faith and hope, and then you love, and you have to do works of love to um, uh, internalize this resolution to be different, to let the Holy Spirit make us different, and so it's practice, and it's persevering in that practice, even when I stumble, to be ready to get up and keep trying again. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, you're married, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do when you mess up? Uh, you say you're sorry. You got to. And you keep trying again. <laughs> That's right? right. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's that. But also act of love, because sometimes you bring flowers. You're like, let's, let's yeah. start. That's the, that seals the deal. <laughs> or you clean the stove, whatever it might <laughs> <Yes>. be. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really, yeah, well, that's great. Would she rather have you bring flowers or clean the stove? Probably clean, clean the, the stove. Clean the stove, yeah, actually. Actually. Yeah. for sure, yeah. for sure. All right, one last question as we kind of wrap up this conversation about Lent. We're looking forward to, as we move through Lent, obviously we stay present there, but to Holy Week and to the Easter celebration. And Holy Week is just my favorite week in, in the church calendar and the movement of the Triduum, the three-day day. Is there any part of Holy Week that you just love and look forward to every year, any any 
single moment or single movement that's real profound to you each year? For me, as the Archbishop of Detroit, uh, there's a, a special uh, experience in leading the archdiocese in the in the liturgy for the consecration of the chrism and the blessing of the holy oils, and uh, that's technically not part of the Triduum. The Triduum begins with the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday, but on Holy Thursday morning, we do this at the cathedral. And so I guess I could say it's the gateway to the Triduum. Mm. And I mean, uh, like any other priest, the Easter Vigil, uh, the baptisms, the confirmations, the First Holy Communions, those are great moments. But uh, the Christmas Mass is very, very special. And that's really. the one where all the priests come together. Right. It is so, every time I go to that Mass, I sob through the entire thing because it's beautiful. so beautiful to see just our church together in that way and all these men, really, that that make this choice to serve in this really tough and beautiful way to see everybody together and when they all walk down, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's beautiful. That's quite the procession. And, and of all the moments... One of my favorites is a very simple liturgical gesture when uh, the, uh, the oil for the chrism is uh, set in front of me, and it's my job to breathe into it. Mm. Oh, wow. And uh, the, the gesture is one more way to call down the Holy Spirit into the oil so that when people are touched with the oil, yeah. they are suffused with the Holy Spirit. Oh mm. my gosh, that's really incredible. And I know sometimes, not every year, but sometimes you can catch it on social media, these these big liturgies. I've seen the Chrism Mass on social media, so maybe I'll look for that if we can't come down as a family. Yeah, I think they uh, put it on Facebook Live or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, be, we'll be aware at that moment. We'll be praying for you as you kind of do that. But what a cool, cool yeah. thing. So awesome. We get to live Lent together, right? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Archbishop, for sharing that with us. Oh, you're welcome. Well, one thing we love to do, Archbishop Ignoran, is at the end of our podcast, ask you some questions that the faithful have submitted. If anybody listening has any questions for you, they can go ahead and email them to eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. When you email your question to the Archbishop, make sure to submit it with your name and parish. You ready for some questions? I am. All right, here we go. I really like this one. What is a typical day like for an Archbishop? This comes from Gonzo in Austin at Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish and Our Lady of Hope in St. Clair Shores. So what is your what should days look like? Well, I don't know that there is a typical day. <laughs> uh, the weekdays are certainly different from uh, the weekends. So let's say weekday. I usually try to get up about 5 o'clock in the morning, do my uh, holy hour after that, uh, get my coffee, get myself cleaned up. If I don't have Mass out, uh, the other two priests who live with me, if they're in as well, we say Mass at 7.30 get some breakfast, and then usually head to the office. And uh, office work is really falls into two kinds of work. Well, three, meetings, Mm -hmm. uh, one-on-one appointments, and then uh, correspondence and telephone calls and such. I bet it's not boring. I bet you have different things every single day. (laughs) Yeah, it is uh, not boring. It's lots, no no one day is like uh, the same. And it's important for me, uh, I'm a somewhat uh, reserved person, it's important for me to try and have some time every day when I get to read and think, but mm-hmm. I don't always get that. Right. Yeah, that's hard. And then um, we usually end the day at about uh, 6.15, the priest that I live with, we say Vespers together, we have a little social time, 
And when we're all home, we have supper at 7. Awesome. And then do you, I know a lot of priests and people that work in the church, they try to have an off day. Is that even a possibility for yeah, you? Yeah, I try to have Friday as okay. my uh, Dias non, my uh, my off day. Awesome. And I pretty good at doing that. And what do you do on an off day? What is uh, What are the things that you I like? Work. <laughs> I work. I catch up on uh, some stuff, but it's an opportunity to do more reading, to yeah. be in touch mm. with friends. Yeah. Do you like golf or go no, to the I show? Don't golf. None, of, none of those kind of no, things. No. I, okay. I, uh, I used to have more interest in like uh, going to concerts and movies. But right. I, Kind of has fallen away over now time. Now it's like to be able to, I'm sure, have time just to yourself to read and to not have to have right. to, stimulation, to right? Just to, honestly, like yeah. that would be that would be. I'm not even that much of an introvert, but I need time that is by myself, not yeah on. You know, so that's that's good that you, you have and the five week. children. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> good luck with that. I tell my husband <laughs> I need a time out, and I go to the back bedroom and I lock the door, and then they bang on the door, and it's usually only 15 minutes, but I I do. Give yourself a timeout. Exactly. I'm awesome. like, I'm going in timeout. Uh, Archbishop, the second question comes uh, from Sharon at uh, Our Lady of Sorrows in Farmington. And the question is actually kind of geared towards Lent a little bit. Is there a piece of advice you would give to families in this season of Lent um, that we're currently in? Any advice that you have? Well, I think uh, the ordinary uh, spiritual uh, exercises of Lent are important, but for families, uh, well, one is, what can one do that serves the family better? But maybe even more importantly, what can the family do together? Mm. We've all talked about uh, how Lent is an experience uh, that's been part of our lives since we were little kids. How can, how can parents do that uh, with uh, their children, help share Lent with them? And maybe one more thing is husbands and wives uh, to talk to one another about their Lent and how they can help one another have a better Lent, because being married, part of being married is a vocation to help one another be holy. Mm. Uh, it's beautiful. All yeah. right, Rocky from Guardian Angels and Clausen has this question for you. If you had the ability to miraculously fix or improve one thing in the Church of Detroit, what would it be, and how would you, and why would you choose that? Well, the things that uh, need improvement are not things that are going to be fixable by a miracle. <laughs> you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen. Because what needs to be better is us. Yeah. Uh, mm. We're what needs improvement, and that's not about a miracle. That's about taking hold of God's grace mm. and uh, letting him work in us. So uh, I suppose if I w God were going to give us something miraculous, I might ask him to think about sending his blessed mother to some little girl who is the least uh. likely uh, object of, of the, Our Lady's attention, like he did with Bernadette, yeah. or uh, like he did with the children at La Salette, or wasn't a little girl, but like he did with Juan Diego. Uh. So it might be nice to have Our Lady show up in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a really good request. I, I love that it. that as a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And you're, I mean, it's so right, too, about the, the, the miraculous, like, the, what are you going to do? Get rid of human nature? You can't, you know? I mean, I'm really so. glad you answered that way because I was curious what your answer was going to be to it because I do feel like, you know, we, we we move and minister in this church that's quite broken sometimes in the institution. And it's like, Mike, you always say this. Like, what it is is it's that we have to get holy. Like, that's the answer to some of the institutional brokenness. People need to be convicted that they're loved by God and then do better for others because of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's not a, It's not a... Maybe the answer that we want, 
but it's true. Yeah. Well, and it's God's answer. Uh, God didn't uh, perform a miracle to save, uh, to, to uh, he didn't annihilate human nature. Right. He, he didn't get rid of death in order to conquer death. He embraced it and, and went through it. Right. And, uh, and free will tied in there too, of course, right. you know, like that's just, yeah. That's, so That's really good. It's, I think I'm, I'm quite moved by that because I was so curious what would be the one thing that you would, yeah. I'm going to fix this because I think that is our nature. But that's such an interesting thing. That, like God didn't do that either. Beautiful. He, he took the brokenness. Yeah. All right, Archbishop. Let's get holy. Last question for you from uh, Anne at St. Mary's in Royal Oak. She asks, what religious faith outside of Catholicism have you found it uh, most interesting to learn about? Well, certainly uh, the Jewish faith, I would say, no disrespect to other uh, world religions, uh, Islam, Hinduism, but uh, the Jewish faith. And I have to be careful. Uh, The church teaches, uh, uh, St. John Paul put it very uh, well, uh, the Jewish faith is not extrinsic to the Catholic church, Mm. but it's within it because we inherit... uh, uh, the riches of the first covenant through Jesus. But it's very helpful to me, to especially to think about uh, the interpretation of the scripture and the meaning of the sacred scriptures to the rabbis and in Israel over, over time. Yeah. And it has deeply enriched my life. Yeah, that covenant history is so so rich. There's so much there in those uh, in those scriptures, and I know I, I would like to learn more myself. I don't know enough about Judaism personally. Yeah, but do you do some things with uh, different rabbis in the area? Is there I some meet with there? Uh, I meet uh, from time to time with uh, leaders in the in the uh, the council of rabbis. Uh, Rabbi uh, Joseph Krekoff is a good friend of mine, and we have had scripture studies together wow. from time to time. Cool. Uh, I'm due to try and have another one. Uh, he suggested, uh, forget what he, uh, anyway, I've been thinking maybe that we could do something about King David. I Gosh. think that would be interesting. I would love to be a fly on that wall, right? And and listen to you two kind of dive into the deep history and connection of the two faiths. Beautiful. Awesome. That'd be great. All right. Archbishop Vigneron, is there anything that we can pray for you for in the next month or so until we meet again, that you can ask the faithful to kind of join you specifically in any intentions that we can hold you close to our prayers? Well, um, I've been making my one of my particular prayers to pray for the catechumens who are going to be baptized, uh, confirmed, and have uh, the Eucharist at the Easter Vigil. So I just would in, uh, remind everybody to keep praying uh, for them and to pray that they persevere. Uh, we have statistics that indicate that there are problems sometimes with the, the newborn from baptism uh, after time and attrition. And so I think hmm. to pray for their perseverance. Great. Hmm. Awesome. Great. Archbishop, would you mind closing our, our podcast episode with a, a blessing from you? Lord God, we ask you to hear us. Uh, we present all of our needs and petitions uh, before you through the hands of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary our mother, the mother of Christ. And we ask that in all things, we will be more deeply configured to Jesus as your sons and daughters. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center 
a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.